This podcast is brought to you by Gundog Outdoors and Dakota 283 Kennels. Hi, hunters. Thank you for tuning into the Flushman Dustin podcast brought to you by Nick and Tyler, the boys from Ringnecks and Retrievers. In this podcast, we will talk about guns, dogs, gear, and our successes and failures in the field through our combined 40 years of experience. We speak with hunters just like you from across the nation about their days in the field and the many memories they built with their friends and family. We are excited to have you listen. Now let's get to Flushing and Dustin. Hunters, welcome back to another episode of the Flushing and Dustin podcast. Uh, this episode, we have special guest on Eric Locker. He is originally from uh, Iowa, but has moved to Alaska and uh, hunts birds up in Alaska, comes to Iowa, uh, chases after those Iowa roosters. So, Eric, we're happy to have you on this episode. We're definitely looking forward to it. Uh, but give the listeners some of your background. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's a great opportunity. Um, back in 2016, um, got a call from uh, somebody up in Alaska. And we were working, my wife and I, at a Bible camp in Iowa, up in northern Iowa on Clear Lake. And uh, a chairman of a camp board up there was like, hey, would you have any uh, interest in coming to Alaska and being a camp director up here? We have a opening on the Kenai Peninsula. And I was like, that would be absolutely awesome. So we, they paid our way up there uh, in the month of December so we could check it out. And uh, they offered me the job at the end of that week. And so we moved up the first week of February, 2017. Dang, that's crazy. Oh, that's a pretty that awesome, crazy. awesome. Yeah, uh, talk- I- so uh, talk about dropping in your lap <laughs> yeah no kidding that is very cool so what it, what's it like up in alaska just like atmosphere weather bugs i mean yeah, i've never been there. pretty pretty awesome place it varies a lot just because the state is just entirely huge so um from top to bottom it's about a thousand miles north to south i'm not even sure what it is east to west it's at least that. And uh, so Jeez. where we're at, which is on the Kenai Peninsula, two and a half hours south of Anchorage on the Sterling Highway, um, it's pretty mild when it comes to Alaska terms. So like the extremes would be December 21st, of course, uh, the coldest, darkest time. We still get quite a bit of daylight there. So like sunrises at 1030 in the morning and sunsets around 345. Whoa, that's crazy. Uh, we still, it still does get light out, which is really nice. Yeah. Uh, and it, it really depends what the weather's like. Some days it'll be 20 below. Other days we'll get this weather system that comes in from Japan that we like to call the Pineapple Express. And it'll be <laughs> above freezing, which oftentimes it's warmer than Iowa is. But oh, wow. um, the winter overall is just a lot longer and a lot darker. Yeah. That's great. So but in the summer, it's the opposite. So it's super light. So how many months is it? Do you only have those like five, six hours of daylight? Basically, um, like November, December, January are the worst. Um, and then is it just like gray and dark. And yeah, it is. The sun's <laughs> really low on the horizon. So like if you have trees to the south part of your property you you really don't see the sun <laughs> oh Just, man geez and there are places in alaska like even up in um the anchorage area where uh there's a mountain there where people don't see the actual ball of sun for like 17 days holy shit yeah <laughs> that would be tough was it a wow. was it a hard change when you guys moved up there i mean or is it pretty much the, is the living pretty much the same, like getting groceries, all that stuff, or is it a lot more different? Where we live and we call it the road system in Alaska. If you live where there's a road, it's really not that bad if you're not in the middle of nowhere. So we, we live nine minutes away from a grocery store, which makes it a lot easier than people who live off the road system, uh, where you have to get there by plane or boat. Oh, um, life is just totally different in the villages and off the road system yeah. and on the road but, system in some places it's like 500 miles from a grocery store 
Holy shit. Wow. It's a wild place. Dang. What uh what what are the grocery costs and gas costs up there right now? Our gas is almost four dollars a gallon. Okay, so it's not, yeah, it's not much worse not, than this. Yeah, it's not terrible yet. It was, you know, in the two fifty range, but it's what is like way. what's like a breast of chicken, like a pound of chicken or a pound of beef cost? That's a great question, but I don't know the answer to it because I've not bought any since we've lived there. So <laughs> um, that's all right. I don't really know, but like a gallon of milk is like four dollars. Um, a dozen eggs is in like the five dollar range. So it's oh, a little wow. bit. Yeah, that's crazy. And so, it, it adds up for sure. But you like it, right? <laughs> we love it. Yeah, both <laughs> me and my wife, which is like the best part, likes yeah. it too. So that's so what nice. keeps me there. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about the tell us about the hunting up there. Yeah. So I see on your Instagram page, um, you got some birds up there. What kind of birds are you chasing? Are there pheasants up there? Um, I have no idea. I've never researched hunting in Alaska, other than I know you can go out and you know shoot a grizzly or probably can't hunt polar bear, but uh, they're up there, obviously. <laughs> Well, I went up to Alaska, like most people dreaming of the big game hunting. And I would say my first spring there, I realized really quickly, I thought I was just going to shoot black bears like crazy because they're everywhere. And um, I realized that wasn't quite going to be the case. And so I had pretty much given up bird hunting. I grew up bird hunting here and I sold most of my shotguns and just thought that I wouldn't do it. And it took me about four years uh, of big game hunting to figure out that there's actually a lot of birds. So uh, I started out just hunting uh, spruce grouse, which is the main species that we have where I live. And uh, they're not exactly what you would call um, great targets on the wing. Uh, You spend more time trying to get them to actually fly than you do shooting at them. Uh, you're like running around the big of a tree that's the type of bird tyler needs he can't hit nothing so he needs one of those ones to stay on the ground <laughs> and then they if they do fly you better work quick because they're just going to land on the branch of the next tree by you so oh, shit. it's pretty interesting they're not all like that but that's pretty much the common common thing that happens so when i was doing some tar- uh some caribou hunts up north we got into ptarmigan quite a few times and shot them with the bow up there. And, um, we, I realized that they offer, they would offer pretty good wing shots if I ever went for them. And so, um, I kind of found some spots near us that I thought would hold ptarmigan and I'd seen them hiking before and things like that. And, um, my first time out, I shot like seven of them. And what's, what's the limit on those guys? Shooting. The limit is 10 a day. Oh, okay. Um, there's actually three species of ptarmigan in Alaska. There's uh, willow ptarmigan, which is Alaska's state bird. There's rock ptarmigan. They're a little bit smaller um, and slightly higher elevation than willow ptarmigan. And then there's white-tailed ptarmigan, which are really small. They're like um, probably a little bit bigger than a bobwhite quail, um, but much smaller than a willow ptarmigan. <laughs> and they live up even higher. I was going to say, do uh, they all have different terrain that they're in? They do, yeah. And it it really depends on where you're at. Sometimes they can be, as the crow flies, really close to each other, but, like, vertical. (laughs) Yeah, straight up. (laughs) Yeah, straight up. So whitetails really like the rocks um, with not much tundra there and uh, where there's some water around and then rock ptarmigan like it just slightly lower than that they do feed on some um, and i'm kind of talking about like the fall season where there's no snow and then willows that's how they got their name they're pretty much in the willows but when the snow comes it kind of all overlaps wherever they can find some food uh, which they eat willow buds and alder catkins and things like that and so um, you can pretty much find them anywhere there's food yeah did you have a when you moved up and started going after the birds, did you, 
work with a mentor? Did you just do research on your own or how did you kind of learn about all the different birds? I'm kind of a bird nerd anyways. Um, I, I didn't have a mentor. I went, I graduated from Iowa State University with a degree in uh, animal ecology and we had to take bird biology, ornithology while we were there. And so I've always really been interested in birds. And so even though I wasn't hunting them, like I kind of studied them and put in the back pocket where they were if I ever wanted to hunt them again. And um, there's a, there's a guy who lives in Alaska. Um, His name is Jim McCann and he wrote a book on upland bird hunting in Alaska. And I actually bought the book probably within a month of being there. It was at a used bookstore and I never opened it again until I realized it was on my bookshelf when I was thinking about going and I read the whole book in like a couple of days and he has a ton of information in that book. And so I got a lot of information just from that book. I mean, there's not really much information out there. You can't just YouTube like you can other things. How do I hunt ptarmigan in Alaska? Huh. There's just not much. So out there. you don't use it. You don't use a dog for them. You just kind of walk along and you find them. That's the way I started out doing it. Um, I had a German short hair pup um, for 13 years when I lived in Iowa, and she died right before I moved to Alaska. And so, just because I didn't have a dog out of necessity, I had to go with that one. And so, winter hunting is a lot better if you don't have a dog because there's really no cover for them to be in anyways. And there's more signs. So like I just take binoculars up Uh, the terrain is, is pretty crazy. So like one area that I hunt, the trailhead is about 2000 feet uh, below where I'm actually hunting. Mm -hmm. And it's probably more like, it's over a mile and a half that you have to gain that. And so it's basically straight up. And so what you're looking for when you actually get up there is uh, they, they roost in snow roosts. So they'll be, if the snow is soft, they'll be in a hole in the snow. So you can look for those with your binoculars and they'll also have tracks around. So I usually spot either the, the roosts, the holes or, um, the tracks before I actually spot the ptarmigan themselves and then make a move on them. And they really rely on their camouflage. So they'll usually wait to even move before you'll be in range, like before they move, which is really nice. Oh, cause they don't think you see them. So what, yeah, do you shoot, exactly. what are you shooting them with? 20, 12. I actually, my first time out last, uh, would have been a little over a year ago. I took my 20 gauge. I have a 20 gauge over under. And, uh, that's the only gun uh, that I didn't sell before moving up there. And after hiking five miles back in gaining several thousand feet, I'm like, I really need a lighter gun. And, um, I always wanted a 28 gauge and I've been interested in in them for a while. I'd never actually shot one, but, um, as soon as I did that one hunt, I'm like, I'm going to go get a 28 gauge. So I went and got a, a cheap, Stevens five by five and 28 gauge it weighs five and a half pounds and I I love that gun it's perfect for that kind of thing yeah nice it it puts the thump on them it's not it's not like shooting them with a 410 or anything like that it's it's still got a lot of killing power yeah do you ever have to worry about bear and I don't know mountain lion and things of that nature when you're walking back in five miles into oh yeah train like that we always take um, we as in I have a buddy now. He's got a German short hair. We actually met over Instagram, and oh, nice. uh, he had a bird dog. He's new to hunting. He's only been hunting a little over a year. His name's Evan, and um, he had a friend who was into bird hunting, and convinced him to get a bird dog um, when he lived in Wyoming. And then he got a job and moved back to Alaska. He's born and raised Alaskan, and. Uh, he was like, well, I guess I better figure out how to hunt birds. So he, he figured it out on his own. And then we just kind of crossed paths over social media and started hunting together. That's awesome. And uh, we, we always take our Glock 10 millimeters with us wherever we go. And we've never had a run in 
wild ptarmigan hunting, except for a couple hunts ago. Um, we never saw the bear, but there was bear tracks or bear tracks and scat all the way up the trail. And then on the way back, it was getting kind of dark out and his dog went berserk, which the dog never barks. <laughs> and it just started barking like crazy. And all of a sudden, both of us have our guns out of the, the <laughs> holster. And we're like, exactly what it, <laughs> what it was. But sh- thankfully, she smelled it and got it out of there before we ever saw it. <laughs> oh, man. That would be huh. freaky. We, we see a lot of brown bears fishing. Both of us fish quite a bit. And they're kind of fat and happy. And so if you don't bother them, they usually don't bother you. <laughs> but um seems like those ones that live away from the streams are a little bit more grumpy and they don't have all that food right there yeah, exactly. you got some big grizzlies work. up there yeah we have a lot where we are there's probably still more black bears but it seems like you see the brown bears more just because they're out in the open by the edge of the river Man. and then in the falls the the black bears go on the berries up above tree line, which is also where the ptarmigan are. And so you do see scattered across the hillsides or mountainsides quite a few black bears. Yeah, I huh. bet that's just some crazy cool country up there hunting. It is. It's unbelievable. It's really hard to explain to people, even by taking pictures. It's yeah, don't do it justice. It does not do it justice. And getting into birds, like we were like a couple weekends ago before we got hit with snow. Like we were getting into flocks of a hundred birds in each flock. Oh, it was just crazy. And, you know, most people don't know about that. And uh, when you get a dog out there, they find them and they probably wouldn't ever find them without a dog because there's still quite a bit of foliage on the the willows and they get to run around you or their main predator is aerial. So like hawks and, uh, species of owl up there um they're constantly flying around and we actually use that to kind of confirm that we're looking in the right area if if there's a hawk flying over we're like okay there's ptarmigan here somewhere (laughs) and uh, they so they tried it when they're still when they're still changing from so ptarmigan always have white wings but in the summer they turn brown and they blend in really well and and then they start turning white um in late august and they'll be totally white by october and so in that transition stage they're really vulnerable because they're they've got patches of white on them and uh because of that they know the hawks can see them when there's no snow on the ground yet and they just get buried in these willows and you would be pretty hard pressed to find them without a dog i'm looking i'm looking on your your instagram page right now eric to see if i can find these birds got a lot of rough grouse yeah we actually most people don't know this alaska is kind of a little bit of a hidden gem and um interior alaska which would be for the most part north of the alaska range actually has all three species of um of grouse Mm. uh, so they have spruce grouse, which we have down on the Kenai as well, but they have rough grouse and sharptail grouse up there. All I was just seeing you got a bunch of sharptail here. Is that why so the, we, the sharptails have that long ass fur on their feet and legs? So yeah, they do. From, and uh ptarmigan are really neat too. They they have fur all the way down to their toenails. Oh wow. It, it, and they're oh, they're yeah. crazy. So you said they're white on they're white on the wing and then like brown on the back? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I see one here. And then in the winter, they're just pure white. And so that's crazy. That's why it's hard to find them in the winter Damn, without kinda, finding their tracks and stuff. That one picture he has, it kind of reminds me of a pigeon. Yeah. Like yeah, we feathers. actually had a pigeon when I was a kid. And that's the when I saw my first term again, that's exactly what I thought of was a pure white pigeon. Yeah. Dude, that thing, they're freaking cool though. You have when they're turning that brown to white, man, that's some they're super beautiful yeah. Color, yeah dude you could, i never i mean i looked at your page before but i've never went super down far like i am right now you got some amazing pictures thank you yeah. these are some sweet birds so let me ask you 
do you like hunting Alaska more than you like hunting Iowa roosters or does it not even compare? It, it doesn't even really compare. <laughs> Alaska is far and away. Is it something that you think everybody should do? Come up to Alaska. Yeah, for sure. My, my buddy Evan and I always. Was that, a, was that an that. invite? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I saw yeah, your goose hunting, goose hunting pictures on there, and I'm going to be in Iowa like the whole month of December. And so maybe we'll have to do a little swap. Let us yeah, know. If, if you uh, let us know when you're around, if I got a good field, you're more than welcome to join. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But to go off of that, we every time Evan and I go out and we're up in Ptarmigan country, which is just, to, I mean, totally wild. It's like the most wild place you could ever be. And uh, we, you look around and you're like, I can't believe there are people that are never going to experience this. Like, it's a totally different world up there. And he is kind I, of I cool, haven't even been there and I'm hooked already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has a cool thing that he likes to say. Um, he he's grew up in Alaska and so he said the only regret that he has in life is that he'll never be able to experience Alaska for the first time which Damn. is oh, a pretty yeah. cool concept if you think about it yeah since he grew up yeah that's yeah that's wild so you, I saw on you recently in September shot your first sharp tail grass is that correct yep uh so tell us about that experience it looks like you're chasing you've wanted to shoot that bird for 17 years and you finally got yeah. the opportunity give us a yeah, rundown so i got i got my first bird dog when i was 14 and um you know back then there was no onyx there there were some satellite images and things like that and so i i knew that the nebraska sandhills had sharp tails and uh um to kind of give you some insight on when I was 14, we got cable for the first time and we had the outdoor life network. And on that outdoor life network was hunting with Hank, but it was always on when I was at school. So I'd record it and uh, hunt. It, it's this guy named Des Young and his Llewellyn setters. And he would hunt all over the United States and uh, including Alaska for Ptarmigan. And so, uh, I bought a Nebraska Atlas, you know, one of those big yeah. red ones <laughs> that nobody has anymore. <laughs> and uh, I was going to go out there and uh, of course I couldn't drive. So that was kind of a big obstacle. And so I was trying to convince my dad or my grandpa to go with me. And um, while I was in school one year, I think it was two years later, my grandpa, my dad and my cousin all took my dog and went out and did this sharp tail shoot out there. And so my dog got to go sharp tail hunting and prairie chicken hunting, and they harvested all of them. Uh, without and you didn't me. get to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I have always since then been so bitter about that. And, I don't blame uh, you on that. No kidding. <laughs> I befriended somebody who lives up in Northern Minnesota and uh, did some rough grouse hunting. I always wanted to do that, did that in college. And they had sharp tails on the property and, um, I whiffed on one, both shots, both barrels. And ever since then, that bird has haunted me. And I've <laughs> never been, still never been really, I wasn't sharp tail hunting, but it gave me an opportunity. I was going to shoot it. And so ever since then, that was probably close to 10 years ago now already that I missed that one. And so when I found out there are sharp tails in Alaska, I'm like, someday I got to get up there and do that. And so Evan and I plan to hunt for this fall. And um, we went up there north of the Alaska range, expecting to only hunt sharp tails. And we got a really early snow up there. And there was already, I don't know, probably a foot of snow on the ground where we wanted to oh, hunt. Shit. And then, uh, so we found this spot and hunted it. And all their food, which we were told um, they eat these berries, knick berries, um, next to wind rows, there's kind of a farming area. You wouldn't expect Alaska to have much farming, but yep. there's hay fields and the sharp tails will use those and they eat on these berries. Well, all their food is covered up. And so, uh, we reached, reached out to Jim McCann and he was like, all right, you got to look for 
this other food source. And so um, we started scouring maps of where we thought would have this uh, this dwarf birch, which is what they switched to. And we finally found some, but it was knee deep snow and drifts were up to our waist. And we ended up shooting on my birthday, two sharp tails, both of us got our first ones. So nice. it was pretty awesome, but it was a lot of work. Oh uh, man, I can't walk the track nice. through that. So we got back to the hotel room and nice. we're like, okay, we got to call an audible here because <laughs> we drove 400 miles and we can't just trudge through that deep of snow all the time. <laughs> so, well, I just looked at how long it takes us to drive just to Alaska. <laughs> oh God, how long? Better off flying. <laughs> Two <laughs> days and eight hours. Whoa. I'm guessing that's nonstop. Drop. So. Yeah, that's not <laughs> Do you yeah, fly down when you come to uh, Iowa? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, you still got family. It's pretty in reasonable. Area? The cost isn't too bad. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I think this and trip was about five hundred bucks. Oh, not too bad. That's not bad. Shit. So when how when does hunting season start up there for you guys? Opener is August tenth. And are you 14th. in your? You're not in your dark time now, are you? No, it's super light still. Still then. June 21st would be the extreme and it really doesn't get dark. The sun sets for a couple hours. Um, but yeah, I'd say, I think the sun's probably still up then till close to 11, something like that. Um, but the birds are really small. Like, um, you have to really be selective. If you go on opener, there's a lot of young of the year birds that you can tell as soon as they get up, you don't want to shoot them. Yeah. So most people wait till they grow really fast. So uh, usually people wait till the last week of August. And by then it's hard to tell the difference. What's like the temperature range up there during that time? It's really nice out for the most part. Um, you're getting into the mountains to hunt them. So there can be some chilly mornings. Mm -hmm. um, I think we were on opener it was downright terrible weather just pouring rain and it was cold because of that but the air temperature wasn't really that bad and then i went august 27th was the next time i went so it'd been a couple weeks and uh there's a little couple ponds up there that had ice on them oh geez they're about three thousand feet in elevation and I'm like, we better, we better make the most of this because we might not have many of these left. And yeah. those, we do try to do long hunts in the, in the fall because you can't really go very far when there's snow on the ground. And so um, when we go, we do like 15 to 18 miles, mile hunts. So nice. four or five of that is one way hiking. And so if you did 18 miles, 10 of it is just walking there and back and then eight miles while you're actually up there. It's <laughs> crazy. And it's not flat. It's up and down. <laughs> so on your walk out, I mean, you're just walking just basically straight up a mountainside to get to yeah. a plateau. Both or of us or? have, both of us have scabbards on our backpack. So we just put our shotguns in a sock, put them in our scabbards and, go i like to use walking sticks to just kind of give my knees a little bit of a reprieve yeah. mostly on the way down is worse on your knees than on the way up man that's huh. wild so man, it, uh, go ahead Nick. it's just crazy what so what time are you heading out in the morning to to do this well like it we basically leave the house before you can see and then we, ho we hope to get to the trailhead um while it's just getting light out and then um like we're out all day long so usually it's like seven to seven 12 hour 12 hour days <laughs> holy shit yeah that's crazy but in the winter it's not i mean you can spend as much time as you want up there but instead of doing 15 to 18 miles we're doing like six to eight miles and we're only hiking in like two miles off the road, uh, getting a quick hunt in and getting out of there before we freeze. Yeah. And 
that's what I love about hunting ptarmigan because when I figured out that hunting big game was not like a weekend activity that you could do really um I, I found that ptarmigan, it was really nice to be successful at finding birds every time you went out, which you can't say about big game hunting because you just don't have that opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Oh, so so what, what big game are you hunting up there? Uh, What's we're, your favorite? Have you done moose? Yeah, like I've done dude. moose. I've done quite a few caribou hunts. And that's probably my favorite big game hunt. It's just, it's really nice because for moose, there's a lot of regulations around it every unit every subunit has a different rule they got to be 50 inches wide or have four brow tines and it just gets kind of a little bit um, tiring trying to figure that all out and you don't want to make a mistake obviously <laughs> or for for sheep they got to be full curl well when you grow up in iowa it's not like you look at sheep every day and oh yeah that's a full curl ram for sure so yeah i like caribou hunting because you can just go and if it's a bull, you can shoot it. It doesn't matter how big it is. <laughs> so I've done that quite a few times. And then this year, I kind of wanted to stay close to home because where I caribou hunt is about a 20-hour drive from where I live. Jesus. And it's all the way up on Prudhoe Bay. And I just didn't really feel like driving that far this year. So we, I did a fly-out hunt uh, to a lake in the Kenai Mountains. And... Uh, shot some bears and ptarmigan up there that was a pretty good time <laughs> man so many trips you usually like longer trips you usually take in a a season like your 20 hour drive trips or like... just one that's that's the big problem is you really only get one good hunt in during the hunting season it's the caribou season's a little bit longer than most it's like august 1st to september 15th but up there um you got to get out of there probably before that because it starts getting pretty cold. Yeah. When, Jesus. when does uh when does bird season close up there? Bird season super long. Um where we're at, it's August 10th to March 31st. Oh what? wow. So we're just kind of taking a little break right now until the snow shapes up for good snowshoeing conditions. And as soon as the snow hardens up a little bit, it's game time again. Man, hunting up there is 100% different than it is here. It is totally like, different. When you're talking snowshoes and, you know, eight-mile treks in to hunt a four-mile <laughs> patch, like, man, here you literally pull in a field driveway, walk to the <laughs> next fence row, and then you're done with that field, you know? I mean, it's that totally is, different. That is just wild to think about. How I mean, that's got to be super fun, though you know getting it up. is so <clears throat> during the i mean during that dark so the dark time is you said like december through whenever yeah, mostly in the month of december so do you guys do much hunting during that or is that kind of i mean there's five hours of daylight not a lot um the last i think pretty much every year i've lived in alaska i don't think i've hunted in december part of it is because we come down to iowa for the holidays oh yeah so i'm down here hunting other things some roosters <laughs> what's it like if uh say tyler and i were to come up there to get a a tag uh, uh or a license or whatever the case may be what's is that a pretty lengthy process do you get, get do they do a draw or how's that so for tarm again it's just a small game license and it's cheaper than the other license. It's just, I think it's 40 bucks for an non-resident for the whole year. Um, wow. If you want to add other species to that, um, like big game, you got to buy a $130 non-resident hunting license. You skip that small game one and it covers small game. And then each species has a big game locking tag. And so say you wanted to shoot a black bear, it'd be a $400 big game locking tag on top of the, the $130 license. Huh. Like and then too bad. it kind of goes up from there. Caribou's, I think 625 or 650 and moose is 800. And those are the three species that you can hunt without a guide. I'd probably want a guide though. <laughs> I'd, get lost. I'd get lost out there. Oh man. 
Oh yeah, you gotta have an inReach. I don't know. Have you guys ever used an inReach before? I don't even know no. what it is. <laughs> it's uh they're owned by Garmin now. Um it's a satellite texting device instead of having a satellite phone, which you probably heard of before. Yep. We always take our inReaches with us because there's no cell service anywhere you go. And if you get in a pickle, um, you do have the SOS button. But for the most part, it's like telling your wife that you're not dead on the side of the mountain. How much does that thing cost? I don't actually remember how. I think the simple unit that doesn't have the mapping system is just a couple hundred bucks. Okay. But they make one now where it's a GPS and um, the unit all in one, which I don't really need. Like with Onyx these days. You don't really need that. You can just download the the offline map on your phone and just go with the standard in reach. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's, God. yeah, that's just way different than I mean, we just look at on X to figure out where a plot of land is and then just go. Yeah, see who owns it and go. <laughs> yeah. We don't use that there. That's the other thing that I really appreciate about Alaska. I've been there long enough now it was like okay i want to go hunting in iowa when i'm back and i almost for some reason spaced off like oh you gotta line up all your ground that you're gonna hunt like mm -hmm. you don't just get a go like in alaska everything is public land and That's so nice. that is really so nice. nice it's so it's so liberating <laughs> yeah jesus that's crazy so do you do you enjoy the bird hunting more in the the fall time, like the August through October or after December into the spring? I'd say that I enjoy it more in the fall. I mean, it's just nice not to be frozen to the core while you're out there. Yeah. Um, the frustrating thing about hunting when it's super cold is you really can't stop moving because inevitably you're going to sweat no matter what kind of clothing you're wearing i mean i try to never have an ounce of cotton clothing on my whole body but even then like if you stop to eat your sandwich which your sandwich is going to be frozen anyways <laughs> um you just get really cold really fast and you're like okay let's keep moving yeah <laughs> yep. what a, it's nice not to have to do that in the fall yeah i mean are temperatures like way below zero or it's really i'd i need to like get a thermometer for my backpack or something because like i can look up the weather down the road you know two thousand three thousand feet below where i'm at and kind of get an idea what temperature it is yeah but you almost never know what it is up there but it could be anywhere in those january february march hunts it could be anywhere from 20 below to 30 degrees it's yeah. usually usually frozen though. Hmm. What are you uh, What are you doing in the off season to stay in shape to hike these mountains? I try to keep hiking them, even when there's no snow on them in the off season. They all the trails are still open, and that's when most people are using them is in the off season. And so try to keep I, doing. If I was going to plan a vacation there, no hunting, just like bring my wife up. What's the best time to come to Alaska? I really like August because okay. August is when all the fish are in. And if you plan on, if you plan a trip to Alaska, even if you're not that big of a fisherman, you got to at least give it a try. Yeah. What type oh, of yeah. fish? Rainbow salmon. trout? Salmon. That's what it is. Salmon. Yeah. We have some got, monster rainbow trout. You got some king salmon up there too? We do. Yeah. That's kind of a story in and of itself. They're not doing that great. Uh, it's kind of the sob story of Alaska king salmon population is not doing that great. So oh. not really a great target species to come up and fish. Um, but we have one of the biggest sockeye runs in the world on the Kenai River. Uh, I think this year we had just over 2 million fish come in July and August just to that river alone. And, or harvested uh, or just fish? Just went through the sonar. Jesus. Um, and then the silvers come in after that. Next year is a pink salmon year. So in mid-August, 600,000 
pink salmon come in and they really take lures and flies pretty aggressively. So I always tell people if they're gonna, able to come on an even year, come in mid-August. <laughs> what What's uh, even and odd? What, why do they only come every other year? For some reason on the Kenai River, um, an entire year class of salmon uh, kind of got depleted population got depleted and i think if i i think if i remember right read i read something about um there was some sort of volcanic eruption that heated up the water like in an area where the fish were on their way there like hundreds of years ago and it wiped out the whole population oh wow build them all so they only run on even years oh that is that's interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, obviously, you're in Iowa now. Uh, are you planning on going out opening weekend for pheasant, or what's your plan? Yeah. So, uh, and you're at Shields getting a gun. Are you getting a shotgun? Or are you getting what are you, you getting? In, are you in Des Moines, uh, Iowa City? I'm in Altoona. I'm at oh. Pass. Hey, yeah. shit! I'm <laughs> I live right. Just I'm in Bondurant. <laughs> yeah, just down the road. We could have did this live. I could have been sitting yeah, right with you. <laughs> we should have thought about that. We should have. <laughs> um, I ordered it from a, sitting in my living room in Alaska, but um, I'm getting another 28 gauge. So uh, I just got one of those new TriStar Bristol side-by-sides. Oh, yeah. It weighs 5.25 ounces. I'm pretty pumped about it. That will be sweet. Nice. I, uh, I might try to shoot a pheasant with it. We'll see. Yeah. So are you going oh, out you this weekend or are you not? Yeah, you got you got some ground lined up, got some spots lined up. Yeah, so my brother-in-law is originally from western Iowa. And so um, we're going to go. He's got a new pup, a yellow lab. So we're going to go choice. over there Saturday, Sunday. And then, uh, and then Monday, right before I go home, uh, we're going to hit some local ground where, where I grew up. Very cool. Nice. Yeah. Well, that'd be a good trip. Come back to Iowa and get some, hopefully get some birds in the bag. I hope so. I'm pretty excited just to see some. Yeah. So what is, uh, out of curiosity, what does uh, ptarmigan, do they cook like pheasant or how, what, what's the type of meat are they? The meat is a lot different. Um, have you guys, any of you ever shot sharp tails out west? We haven't, but we're, we're planning on to this yeah. year. Their meat is pretty much just like that. It, it's really dark. It's not light like a pheasant or a quail. It's like red. A goose. And yeah, it, it doesn't taste quite like a goose. Um, it tastes uh, more like pheasant does. But because it's red like that, you kind of have to be a little bit for a little bit careful how you cook it. So how do um, you cook it? What's a good what my favorite way to do it just it, no matter how I'm going to do it, like if I'm going to add it to my wife likes to make uh, ptarmigan fried rice or uh, cheesy ptarmigan and rice. She just sub, like substitutes ptarmigan in for chicken recipes. <laughs> She'll if it's like a one dish thing where everything's in one pan, I'll still take the breasts and I'll cut them up super thin and just put olive oil in a pan and get it really hot and sear both sides so that um it doesn't overcook the outsides and then it's raw in the middle. Like if you just cook the whole breast, mm -hmm. yep. so cutting them into those little strips help. And then we just add it to whatever we're making. But I mean, it's good just to eat that plain too. put yeah. a little salt in there. Um, yeah. Huh. So give us, what's your scariest encounter in Alaska? Like what's, what freaked you out? Have you had some, maybe you haven't even had any, I don't know. Yeah, but you've been there long enough. So, have you had any, uh, like, oh God, I'm not going to make it out of this? <laughs> they actually ha had the first. There's a couple different ones that come to mind. One has to do with an animal, and one has to do with chasing ptarmigan when it happened. But the first one uh, was just on the property that I manage is 150 acres. And uh, one of my buddies was going to go running in the morning and he wanted a buddy to come with. So, I was like, sure, I'll go with you. And at that time, I still carried my Glock everywhere I went. <laughs> and so I took it running with me that morning. And it is the first time I ever ran the property. And I lived there for three months, I think. We 
turned the corner to go into the woods just down the road from my house. And somehow we missed the bear tracks on the road while we were running in. We found them later. But all of a sudden, there's this like eight foot brown bear, 40 yards in closing, running right at us. And I had time to get the gun out and I'm got drawn a bead on him and I'm about to have to shoot him in the head. And at 20 yards, I'm pulling the trigger and he just looked me square in the eyes and turned 90 degrees and ran away. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was pretty surreal. <laughs> Uh, but, your, but your buddy was glad you had that gun, though, just in case. Yeah, he was. <laughs> Holy <laughs> moly. And, that would have uh, been intense. And then this past winter, I was – I wouldn't say I was getting careless. I was just maybe a little overconfident in what I was doing. We were ptarmigan hunting, my buddy Evan and I. And I had just shot um, all three species of ptarmigan that day. And they're in my backpack. And – Evan still needed to get a rock term again to, for him to shoot all three. And they went down kind of low into the alders. And so he followed after without his snowshoes on and uh, encountered like this huge drifted area of snow and like went in oh, into his armpits <laughs> of snow. So he's like way below me in elevation with his dog trying to figure out how to get his snowshoes back on. And He's like swimming in the snow, not able to get his snowshoes back on. Well, I'm still way up where I want to be to, if I kept maintained my elevation all the way around the side of the mountain, I'd be back to the trail, which the trail was packed down by hikers. So that's where I wanted to be. Well, like a week before that, I was able to kind of post hole a little bit through this windswept section of steep, uh, steep mountainside and get right over there. So I just started doing it thinking it would be exactly the same as the week before, but it was much harder. Like it was, I wasn't getting through and I had my ice spikes on and my, um, my sticks, but, uh, there was this thin fresh layer of snow on top of it that hadn't blown away yet. And it was kind of slick. So I got out on it and it was almost like I realized it too late that I shouldn't be out there. And, um, all of a sudden I just lost it, like started sliding down. And, um, I probably slid almost a thousand feet down the side of this oh. mountain and nothing happened to me. <laughs> oh my oh. goodness. So I went home and my wife's like, I think you should probably get life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> Holy smokes. Man. So I'm going to be a little bit more careful out there this winter. I think. How'd your buddy get it? How'd your buddy get out of the snow? Did he tell you? I didn't he see him. Swimming? He had pretty much gotten out by the time I had slid down, cleared all the <laughs> snow off of me so I could see again. And oh, uh, man. he didn't even see it happen. That's how busy he was trying to get out of his <laughs> predicament. Wow, man. That is, that's just wild. That's only an Alaska story. That Jesus. You so if, if that would have kept going, would you like flew off a cliff or like that's the danger is there's all these rock outcroppings. If I had slipped in the wrong place, it would have been deadly. Man. For sure. That is Jesus. That's crazy to think about. How long did it take you to like learn? So do you go back a lot to the same spots that you hunted in the past? Or you try new spots and I mean, does it is it hard to learn the the lay of the land since it's up in the mountains and snow's changing all the time and yeah it, it's hard some of some of the things that happen like kind of help you decide where to go again so like usually if there's birds there uh there's gonna continue to be birds there for the rest of the season so it doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna be there next season because they're just they're super um nomadic and they're moving around whatever habitat's good they're going to be there um but they, at the same time they might not be there day to day so like they'll be back but you might go up there and get into a ton of birds and then go the next weekend and there's nothing there they just might be on the other side of the mountain or down the mountain a mile or whatever so so do uh, predators not really go for these birds because i feel like a limit of 10 is an awful lot so they're obviously plentiful out there 
Yeah, they are. I think that they probably get preyed on more when when there's no snow on the ground because there's more birds around, more migrating through. I think even a lot of even though some birds of prey stay, a lot of them migrate out of there. So in the winter they're kind of sitting pretty. Um, but they they do get preyed on by by hawks still in the in the winter, just not as heavily. Yeah. Um, it's, it's I can't pretty, see the darn things great. as white as they are. They're small, yeah. The other limitation <laughs> too to hunting in the winter is if there's no way up, like if, if you're not continually keeping a trail open or if other people aren't keeping a trail open for you, it may be that you never get to go there the whole winter. Um, where we usually hunt in the falls, the avalanche danger is too high for you to really go up in there in the winter. Jeez. Even if you kept a trail open. Have you ever seen avalanches when you've been up there? I've seen them from the road. Yeah. Um, I bet that's and, pretty wicked. And seen sign of them. You can see after it, the fact when you're driving by. But I've never been in one, and I've never even really been close to one. I don't think I'd ever want to be a good thing. close to one either. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to hunt in a place that really gets them. Yeah. It freaks me out. That would be. Jeez. Yeah, that would be scary. terrible. So. Get rolled up in a snowdrift and can't move. Jesus, exactly. Maybe, it sounds awful, doesn't it? You have yeah, crushed, suffocated. <laughs> it's a serious place. I, I tell my counselors that come to Alaska to work for me in the summer, like Alaska will kill you if you <laughs> you're not. Careful. Sounds like it. That's that is man. The wild west sounds like i need to make it out there is what it sounds like yeah <laughs> it does sure. sound like a blast so man that would be yeah we'll definitely have to stay in contact maybe try to find our way up there sometime and yeah, yeah if you're back sure. here you said in december let us know yep. and we'll uh set up a day or two if we can and yeah go, sounds good go shoot them up yeah well eric we definitely appreciate you coming on the the podcast and talking about alaska Super we learned a ton so yeah. we, we definitely appreciate that but uh again thanks for coming on we'll let you get going so you can go get that new 28 gauge and uh Sounds good. hopefully you get some roosters while you're in iowa this thanks a lot weekend. i appreciate yeah. it yeah eric have a great one thanks for joining us man all right i'll talk to you later later Bye.